Do you consider yourself to be a difficult person in a relationship? Sometimes we do emotionally abusive behavior and we don't even realize it. If you think or even know that's you and you'd like to improve that about yourself, head over to HealedBeing.com. It's a program I created for the emotionally abusive person that wants to change. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani. Welcome to the show. I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. You know, it's funny, I hear myself introducing the show, and uh, I recall how I used to sound. (laughs) I recall that I sounded differently many years ago when I was doing this show. If you've been listening a while, you may have noticed the difference, or maybe I'm just um, imagining this, but I feel like I sound different, and I have a feeling it's because I'm getting older. Well, enough of that non-sequitur. We're going to talk about something else today, and that is how an upbringing can create behaviors that cause your life to be difficult and cause the people that you care about their lives to be difficult as well. I'm going to read an email soon, but it has to do with being in a household where there was a lot of dysfunction and toxicity and um, other things that were going on that a child would not know how to handle. You know, children are brand new to the world. They do not have our worldly experience, if you want to call it that. They don't have our lifetime of experiences and history. So when they experience something, it's usually for the first time, which means they don't have any coping skills. They don't have any survival mechanisms, at least healthy ones. So what they have to do is create them on the fly. And how do they do that? They often look at their role models, their caretakers, their parents, their older siblings, even friends and other family members that have learned how to cope in their own way from their role models or just from making it up. And in my own experience, in my own history, my coping mechanisms came from mostly my mom. I think my sister may have taught me a few things, but I learned how to deal with difficult situations from my mom and not in a healthy way. Sometimes we learn how to deal with difficult situations from people who don't know how to deal with difficult situations. And when that happens, we bring their dysfunctions into our lives when we grow up. And all that means is however your role models dealt with challenge and dysfunction will be pretty much how you deal with challenge and dysfunction. And I think this is very good to keep in mind because if you see results in your life that you don't like, that you would rather have be different, you can ask yourself, 
Who in my upbringing responded to life's challenges the way I'm responding to life's challenges? Think about that. If you are having results that you don't want in your life today, which role models in your life responded back then to the way you respond to challenges today? Because if you can name someone and you can name what they're doing or at least describe or define what they did back then, you can start to pinpoint what you need to work on. Imagine if somebody came up and said, this is exactly what you need to work on because if you don't work on it, you will continue to get these results. A good example is going to be the email that I'm going to read in the next segment, but it's something you can look at in your own life and figure out perhaps that if you want better results, don't act like so-and-so. Don't respond like so-and-so. Don't behave like so-and-so. And that might mean doing something differently. In fact, um, I just wrote this, I believe, in the email in the Healed Being program I mentioned at the beginning of the show for the emotional abuser that wants to change. That program over at HealedBeing.com, if you're interested, I share everything I've learned about healing from doing toxic or emotionally abusive behavior. And one of the things I've learned over the years is there's a pattern that an emotionally abusive person will find themselves in doing the same behaviors over and over again and expecting different results. And I look at that as the definition of insanity for emotional abusers. We've all heard that before, and if you haven't, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity according to some unknown source, (laughs) whoever said it. I think some people think it's Einstein. I've looked it up, and I don't think Einstein ever said it. But I've learned that same thing in emotional abuse. I remember doing patterns in my marriage and every previous relationship I've ever had that those same patterns, I expected different results. I expected the person I loved, that I wanted to change, that I wanted to control, I expected them to change. And instead of changing, they grew more and more distant from me. And I blamed them for that. I'm not proud of that, but that's my past. That's where I was before I healed. But what I would do is subject them to the same hurtful behavior over and over again, expecting them to change. And how many years has to go by before you realize that the way you're behaving and the way others respond to your behavior are directly associated with one another. There's a direct cause and effect. In fact, you don't need this show if you take this one piece of information with you everywhere you go. There is a direct cause and effect to your behavior and other people around you. That doesn't mean you're responsible for their bad behavior, but there's a direct cause and effect. And if you can accept the cause and effect and actually identify what the effect is to your behavior, then you can start to see different results. There are numerous examples I could give right now, but one of them I'll just give from my own life. I used to give the silent treatment a lot. And I really want to make this clear. There are two types of silent treatment, or at least two major types 
of silent treatment, one is emotionally abusive and one is processing. The emotionally abusive silent treatment is an intentional withdrawing of love to make someone feel guilty or feel bad in hopes that they will conform or change. It has intention behind it. It is a way to show the other person that you're disappointed with them, that you want them to feel hurt and show them that their behavior is unacceptable. So you do so in a silent way by withdrawing love, withdrawing attention, and just not saying anything so that they don't know where you are inside. And the other form of silent treatment is more of a protection and a processing time. So let's just say somebody does something hurtful and you're surprised by it and you ask yourself, what the heck just happened? I need some time to process this. So you take some time away from them. You take some time out of conversation. You're not necessarily withdrawing love. You're just protecting yourself. You're protecting your heart. And then you be silent or at least disconnected from them for a little bit while you process it, while you try to figure out what just happened and what do I do with this? This is all about you, not them. This isn't about you trying to make them feel guilty for what they did and make them question if they're worthy of your love or not. It's all about you. And so that kind of silent treatment is more of a place of protection for you. And when you put yourself there, that is not emotional abuse. Although sometimes it can be a mix. But you know what I'm saying? The, the, the two silent treatments can be separate, but you can mix it sometimes. Like, I'm going to take some time to myself and process this, but I also want you to feel guilty about what you said. That can happen too. It's often the case with reactive emotional abuse, where you're reacting to someone's hurtful behavior, so you take some time to, for yourself to process and things like that. But I'm just talking about the two separate ones so that you understand what I mean by the silent treatment. Coming back to where I was going with this is that I used to do the silent treatment, the hurtful kind, in my marriage and in other relationships as well, because if the person I was with didn't conform, didn't change who they were to my standards, to my high standards, because of my opinions, because of my judgments, then I would withdraw love. I would make them feel bad. I would make them feel alone. And I didn't necessarily do that knowing full well what I was doing. I just thought that if they felt bad enough, that they would change. And I thought that was a good behavior. And that's the dysfunctional part. I thought that being silent to hurt them was a good, healthy behavior because my dysfunctional thinking was if they did change, it would make us both happy making a better relationship. This is the mind of dysfunction. This is where I was. These are the toxic components of my history. But that's what I did. And I tell you this from experience and full transparency that I used to do it because I want to give you an example of how you can do a behavior repeatedly and get either the same results or worse results over and over again. And the silent treatment was one of my specialties, unfortunately. And every time I did it, not only did it make her feel bad, but it also caused her to close her heart up more and more. And I deceived myself thinking that the relationship was good and getting better because on the upswing, 
after I stopped doing the silent treatment and after I came back, she was so happy to have me back that I believed that perhaps my silent treatment worked. Again, a lot of it was subconscious. A lot of it I didn't realize I was doing. I just thought that's what I'm supposed to do in order to be happy in a relationship. But I never, ever put two and two together of all the times that I did the silent treatment, it made them feel bad. And I never connected these dots. I never connected the cause and effect dots. The cause and effect dots were when I do this, they feel bad. That's one part of the cause and effect. The second part of the cause and effect is when they feel bad, our love grows weaker. That's a cause when they feel bad. Love grows weaker is the effect. That's the result. The next cause and effect is when the love grows weaker, the relationship grows apart. So bad behavior leads to someone protecting their heart, you know, adding that emotional armor on every time I did the silent treatment. She added a little bit more and a little bit more because who wants to be hurt over and over again? Who wants to feel lonely in a relationship over and over again? So she would protect that heart. She would feel a little bit less safe and want to be a little bit less vulnerable with me every time I did it causing her to distance herself, causing our love to grow weak, causing our relationship to grow apart until the end when the relationship dies. And I can look back at every time I did not only the silent treatment, but many other things that caused all of these results to get to the point where it was completely dissolved. This is how you can do this in your own life. If you have results that you do not like or you do not want, what do you do on a consistent or regular basis that you think you should be doing, but in reality, it's creating this domino cause and effect? If you're getting results that you don't like and you don't make the connection with all the dots and all the dominoes, you may never, ever figure out that you are a major component of what's going on, of the results you're getting. And if you never figure that out, you are more likely to blame other people around you. If you can't figure out your part in this and the moment you are at cause for whatever's going on in your life, whatever results you get, if you don't find your place in that mix, you may always get the same results. And maybe that's your quest. Maybe that's why you're listening to shows like this. Or maybe you have great results and I'm only talking to certain people. But I think it's important to understand that sometimes we get results that we don't want over and over again in life. And we have to find out how we played a part in those results. And that doesn't mean I'm blaming you for any bad relationships or all the times you got arrested or all the times that you got beat up or picked on. or I'm not talking about that at all. There's no blame here. It's just a simple formula. I'm in this formula in some way as a cause. I may not be the cause for the end result, but I am in the chain of events that occurs in some way because I am in the chain of events. I am in there. So being part of the formula and then being able to connect those dots and especially looking in your past and 
being conscious of some behaviors that you may not have been conscious of before can be a huge leap forward in your personal growth and development. Imagine just being able to take a huge leap forward because you figured out, oh, this is what my dad used to do, or this is what my mom used to do, or I remember my big sister or my big brother used to do this, and now here I am doing the same thing. No wonder I'm getting these results. And not even that, you know, I talked about role modeling. It could be a role model, but maybe I also talked about making up a coping skill yourself. And when you're a child and you've only had, what, four years on earth, six years, 10 years on earth, when you are young and you have to figure out how to survive with almost zero life experience in your life, you're going to make up some crazy stuff. (laughs) You're not going to have some sort of peer-reviewed skill set that you can pull from and be resourceful. You're going to make it up. And when you make it up, you might make up things that work at the moment. But when you leave that moment and go out into the, quote, real world, and you become an adult and you get a job and you get a, a life and maybe a family and you just move on into the world as an older person, if you still have these older coping skills and survival mechanisms that you created as a kid, you're very likely going to get results that you don't want unless those coping skills were healthy and were instilled in you from healthy people, or you just figured it out. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that developed healthy coping skills when they were younger. I just don't hear about it. I don't see them too often. I don't hear from them too often. Uh, people that tune into a show like this maybe didn't develop healthy coping skills, or at least some healthy coping skills. But there can be, and there are, children that grew up with healthy coping skills and know how to get through a lot of situations. And I won't dismiss that there could be a coping skill or survival mechanism that you created when you were younger that even though it's dysfunctional, it still benefited you in some way. I can't tell you how often people-pleasing benefited me in a lot of ways. It made me so many friends. It made it easier for me to be a salesperson because I could get along with anyone. It made it easier for me to get along with people at the new schools I went to, at new jobs that I started. People-pleasing was a very helpful dysfunction when I was younger, and it helped me create tools in myself that when I healed from being a dysfunctional people-pleaser to a functional one, where I don't have to rely on people-pleasing, I can now rely on honoring myself and standing up for myself, and I can turn on the charm if I need to, because it's helpful to have these dysfunctions sometimes, If you need to access a dysfunction, I'm not saying that you should just get rid of every dysfunction. I'm just saying that you should transform them so it's always a choice. Empowerment always includes choice. When you have a choice, you are empowered. If you had no choice, if you're in a situation and you're a people pleaser and you said, well, I really don't want to do it this weekend, but I'm going to say yes because I'm a people pleaser, then you're not giving yourself a choice. You're taking that choice away. There goes your power. There goes uh, sometimes happiness. There adds sometimes stress and anxiety because you're not giving yourself a choice. I prefer choice. I think having choice is an empowered place to be. But coming back to where I was going, recognize some of your behaviors from your past. Look at the results that you're getting 
ask yourself, does this behavior always lead to this result even if I can't connect the dots directly? Do I always cry when they yell at me and it never improves the relationship? There's a cause and effect right there. I I cry and it makes them either yell at me or be silent or run away from me. And then a few hours later, where maybe we're happy again, but the relationship never improves. So I wonder if this is a cause that's in this formula that if I removed it, what would change? That's really all I'm here to say in this first segment is if you decide to change one of the behaviors that you do or one of the steps that you take in some sort of cause and effect chain, you get to find out if your results change. And when you find out what happens when you change that, you might change something else and see if it improves. Or just taking out one behavior or one dysfunction or just giving yourself more choices to respond to things in more ways, it might really change your life. And there's something I learned in NLP that I love. It's called the law of requisite variety. The law of requisite variety means that the more flexible you are in any given situation, the more power you have in that situation. And I've heard many examples of this, but one that comes to mind is when a baby's crying, one parent might go, please stop crying, please, please stop crying. And they're always flustered. They're always frustrated. The baby never stops crying. But another parent, they might do the same thing. You know, please stop crying, please stop crying. But if that doesn't work, they'll try something else. This is where you have a variety of responses or behaviors. That didn't work, so I'm going to try playing this little music box. If that doesn't work, I'm going to try, you know, giving them the bottle. And those are just the first few. I'm talking about when you are so flexible that you will also cry like a baby. (laughs) You will cry like a baby and see how that baby responds. I know there are some parents listening right now that probably have done this. And what you're doing is you're trying out different scenarios to find out what kind of response you get. When you do that and the baby responds in a different way, you might have a part of the formula that helps the child calm down. Or, you know, when a baby cries, they need something, of course, so you want to find out what they need. But it's just an example that if you're willing to be flexible to try different things, you may find out that you get different results. And with a baby, you know, you're going to always going to get different results. There's always going to be some challenge with children and you just have to go through it. But that's my example. I'm going to use that because there are some parents that are just, you know, strict and they don't want to be anything other than themselves. But if they choose to be flexible and maybe even do things that might be embarrassing, that might make them feel uncomfortable, then you might see different results because they are part of the cause of the effect that they're seeing in their life, in their family, in in the world. So chew on that for a while. I'll be right back. I'm going to read you this email and we'll talk about perhaps some more cause and effect, but definitely a, a relationship that is having a challenge and probably because of the same reasons I just talked about. We'll be right back.
I have heard over and over again how wonderful BetterHelp is for the people listening to the show and the empowerment group that I run on Facebook. People keep telling me how they appreciate and are getting a lot of benefit from BetterHelp. And I think that's why BetterHelp likes this show. <laughs> I'm out here trying to get you into the best mental space possible. And I also realize that you can only go so far listening to someone talk to you about emotional intelligence and increasing your self-worth and self-esteem and being authentic because sometimes you have very specific issues that you need to talk to somebody about. And those specific issues can be addressed by someone who's dealt with them before from maybe tens, maybe hundreds of other people and they have guidance for you. They can help guide you to a better place so that you feel good inside. I mean, BetterHelp asks you, what is interfering with your happiness? And I think that's a great question because if you can't figure that out, or at least you can't get that interference out of your life, then maybe a professional therapist at BetterHelp can help you. BetterHelp is a professional counseling service that you can use online. They have a messaging system. They do it on the phone. You can do it through video chat. When you sign up, they assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You get to connect in a safe and private online environment. It's just super convenient, and as soon as you sign up, you can start communicating with someone in under 24 hours. My show is the self-help route. BetterHelp is the professional counseling route. And so I think we are a perfect pair, <laughs> if I may say that. I love promoting them on this show because I just trust in their service, and the feedback keeps coming to me. So. I want to share it with you. If you go to betterhelp.com, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain, you'll get 10% off your first month. And they'll deal with almost anything you can think of. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, grief and sleeping issues, anything going on in your life, they are there to help you through it and take out that interference that might be preventing your happiness. Head to betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com forward slash brain. Get 10% off your first month today. And another service I love this is the perfect trifecta in my mind the Overwhelm Brain, BetterHelp, and Curable. Curable is a science backed app that guides you through techniques designed to help you overcome fear of movement, fear of symptoms, and fear of never getting better. They will help you through chronic pain. And if you've been dealing with chronic pain, you know you want anything that could help. You you probably have tried so many things. And I love the Curable app. I've used that myself. I don't have chronic pain anymore, thankfully. But if I did, this would be my go-to. Because I'm looking for solutions. I'm looking for decreasing the pain and increasing my quality of life. I would just want to expand my life again physically, mentally, and emotionally. Having dealt with chronic pain for 15 years, this would have been my go-to app, and I want it to be yours. If you're dealing with chronic pain of any sort, go to getcurable.com forward slash brain, and you'll get 50% off the retail price. And the app is completely free, so definitely sign up. There's no reason not to. But if you ever decide to upgrade, they have more options, more features, then by using getcurable.com forward slash brain, you'll get 50% off the retail price. That's getcurable, C-U-R-A-B-L-E dot com forward slash brain.
Welcome back. Segment one is going to be the cause for segment two's effect. <laughs> in other words, if segment one didn't happen, this wouldn't happen. In this segment, I'm going to read you this email and make a couple comments on it, and we'll see where we go with it. The person wrote, first of all, thank you for your podcast and for being diligent about the titles and the descriptions about what is discussed and covered during each episode. Yes, I want to mention that really quick. That's why I read that line, is that um, I make my titles very specific to what the show is about, but always there's so much more in the show than what's in the title, and I try to cover that in the description, and the only reason I tell you that is because there's a really easy way to find very specific subjects if you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash podcasts, with an S at the end, podcasts. And, uh, or just go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on all episodes and you'll see a search field that you can search the descriptions of every single episode. So if you're ever looking for a specific episode, that's the best way to do it, uh, at least for now. I'm probably going to have a better way next time. But for now, you can go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, click on the all episodes link and then use that little search field and you'll find very specific episodes. So that's why I'm very descriptive and what I cover in each episode. That'll be helpful to you if you're looking for something. Anyway, he writes, here's my story of why this show means so much to me right now. I'm currently in a relationship that is falling apart. We've been together for just over a year and in the last few months have been challenging and the last month has been excruciatingly painful for both of us. I'm in my 30s and my mom was very young when she had me. I never had a father figure in my life and went through childhood watching men abuse my mother. My mother infrequently gave me love and attention as she was young and trying to live her own life. My mother took her own life when I was 16 and I was the one that found her. I've had a few relationships that have meant a lot to me, but they have fallen apart for various reasons. The relationship I am in today is the first relationship I have ever felt supported in love in many years and couldn't be happier during the honeymoon phase. We fell in love with each other quickly. I was always a people pleaser and a perfectionist and thought I knew how to give someone the love they needed, but I am learning that I currently lack that skill. She feels unheard when she voices her feelings, and I'm stuck with the freeze reaction and don't properly respond to help her feel I value her feelings. I have hurt her more than I have wanted to. She has avoidant tendencies and I have anxious tendencies. She's asked for space previously and we have taken a week or so to regroup and try again. It has now been over a month since we have seen each other. It seems every phone call we have, I end up hurting her more. I've been seeing a therapist recently, and I'm learning more about how to fix all the things I was so afraid of confronting before, and also felt so unequipped in attacking them. I'm having difficulty now earning trust and proving that I am now finally working on myself and accepting all my faults. I respect her reluctance to let her guard down and let me in, and I understand her feelings. I try each day to work on something and open up about something that I am learning and something that I was able to reflect on and acknowledge my feeling to myself, which I never did, and to her. She had already conquered all of these issues, and I feel she is judging me for not being confident in my abilities previously. And now that I am trying, it's too late. I am trying to learn to love. Her friends think I am manipulating her, and my friends have been saying the same about her for quite some time, and I defend her. I am hurt by that accusation. I have a lot of fear and it has harmed my relationship and I have hurt someone that I love dearly. I also have a fear of abandonment, but I accept that I may be doing more worse than good. Thank you for everything you do. 
Okay, thank you so much for sharing this. And uh, I will say this, except for one major point, you have pretty much described my own upbringing. You said you never had a father figure. You said your mom was abused. You said um, all kinds of things that I can relate to and certainly have developed dysfunctions from my upbringing just like you have. And thankfully, you're in therapy and you're learning about yourself and you're learning what works and what doesn't which is fantastic. So thank you for sharing all this. And I guess my first question to you is if you have trouble, if you freeze up when you want to share something, do you ever share something in a text or message format like this? Because it seems like you're able to articulate yourself well using a message or email or text or something like that. Not that I want you to do that permanently, but I'm just curious if you do that and I know you can't answer me so uh, that would be my first suggestion is that when you want to articulate yourself and you know it won't come out right or you'll freeze then put it on paper write it down so that you can bring it out you can be more vulnerable you can collect your thoughts you can say it in an organized way otherwise you might be afraid or have a loss for words when you're trying to express yourself in the moment so that doesn't mean I want you to just hand her a note or anyone a note. I, it just means when you have trouble articulating yourself in a moment, go to a piece of paper, go to a computer, and just type in or write down exactly what was going through your mind. That can be helpful. That's a minor point. The second point I want to make is something that I think a lot of people do. It's a, a mistake, in my opinion, is trying to convince the person that has been hurt by you that you won't hurt them anymore. Let me repeat that because it's an important point. If you've hurt someone in your life and you've done it over and over again, intentionally or not, consciously or not, if you've hurt them over and over again, usually the last thing they care about and want to hear is you convincing them that you either won't do it again or that you're getting better and you've changed. And the reason I say that is because typically when someone is hurt by you or you're hurt by someone else, there's sometimes or often a follow-up of something like, I promise I'll never do that again, or I'm so sorry I didn't mean that. There's usually something like that over the weeks, months, and years. And when that happens, that is the first taste of you trying to convince someone that your hurtful behavior will never happen again. So what happens is the recipient of that hurtful behavior becomes accustomed to getting apologized to or even being hurt over and over again. And they become convinced that you cannot convince them. No matter what you say, you could say, I'm in therapy. I am at a retreat and I'm learning this stuff and I've learned so much about myself. I learned how much I hurt you and how bad that was and what a bad idea it was and uh, how just awful I've been. In many cases, you trying to convince someone else that you're changing and you should see all the changes that you're going through usually falls on its face and it can actually push people away. I teach this over at loveandabuse.com. I talk about it on that show. I talk about it anytime you're dealing with uh, emotional abuse. Because emotionally abusive people become very good at 
convincing the other person that they're not going to do it again or they'll never experience the pain or the suffering again and then it happens again so the emotionally abusive person whether they believed they would never cause that pain again or not they end up doing it again and then the recipient or victim of emotional abuse experiences it once again then they become jaded by the words I promise it will never happen again so I'm not sure if that it was exactly what happened to you but I found more often than not you should not try to convince anyone that you're changing because it's a waste of time and it will probably push them away and again this is in the context of when you're hurting someone over and over again or emotional abuse and you've been trying to convince them that you're changing and they're just jaded by it and also it doesn't mean if they ask you can't share it's just a matter of you confronting them or telling them and presenting it to them in a way that makes them think that you're trying to convince them of something. If you have been uh, hurtful towards someone, if you've done some harm towards someone, then trying to convince them that you won't do it anymore will probably not work. So I don't recommend that. I don't recommend you try to convince anyone. In fact, if you are spending the majority of your time and energy trying to convince someone else that you're changing or you have changed, then you are focused on the wrong person. I live by that rule. If you are trying to convince somebody that you've changed, you are focused on the wrong person. Just like if I do something inadvertently wrong around my girlfriend today, I put a dish in the dishwasher the wrong way. <laughs> and she cares about her dishes. She doesn't want them chipped. Instead of saying, hey, look, I put the dishes in the dishwasher the right way this time, I just do it. Although I do remember times where I did say that, but as far as trying to convince her, hey, look, I'm doing it right this time, and she was appreciative about that. But instead of trying to convince her, I just did the behavior. I just did it better. I just did it differently. I just changed my behavior. And it, it made sense to change because, you know, I don't want to break our dishes. So that's what I did. It's the same thing here. If somebody says your behavior is hurtful, I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be near it. And you, you either need to stop that behavior or I, I can't be in this relationship. Then just stop the behavior. Just stop doing it. Just stop being that person. Easier said than done, of course. You, you might need therapy. You might, might need to work on yourself. You might need to reflect and process and heal and all that stuff. But the idea is to focus on yourself, do what you need to do for you, and if you truly are changing, people will notice. They notice. And if you are truly changing, then when they call you on the phone, when they see you next time, they're going to say, you seem different. There's something different about you, and I, I can't pinpoint it, but you don't act the same way you used to. You don't respond the same way you used to. And you can say, yeah, I, I get it. I'm, I feel different. I'm a different person. And that's because you spent so much time focused on yourself. And in emotional abuse, and this happens a lot, is the emotionally abusive person will spend a lot of time thinking, how can I get this relationship back? And that's what causes them to focus on the other person. Instead of focusing on themselves, if they're spending time focused on the other person, then is it truly changing inside of them? Are they truly healing? And it's not fair for me to say, yes, they're healing or no, they're not. It's just fair for me to say that if they're spending a lot of time trying to convince 
the other person that they hurt that they are healing or that they have changed, then they're probably not spending enough time on themselves really absorbing that they might have issues to work on and they might be very deep that who knows they may be even unconscious to it they may not know that those issues are in there and that's why it's so important to focus on yourself it's just like when I got divorced it was the opportunity to focus on myself and because she wasn't around and because I knew she was already convinced that she did not want to get back together I had no choice but to work on myself. And that was the moment I figured things out, or at least I started my journey. I started my healing from so many years of dysfunctional behavior. All this dysfunctional behavior I brought into the relationship, I started focusing on that. I started focusing on myself because I had no choice and because I stopped trying to convince her or anyone else that I was changing and I'm healing. And that was the path I needed to take. If she didn't leave, I wouldn't be able to notice the stuff about myself because I would always think there's a chance. That's what happens with some people. They think if there's a chance, then I don't really have to dive in so deep. I just have to dive in deep enough to show them that I've connected with a deeper part of myself and I'm working on something. And again, I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm just speaking in general. This is what happens. So I'm telling this to the person who wrote the the message that be very careful about calling her up and sending her messages and saying I'm changing and, and these are all the changes I'm doing because it's very very likely that she is jaded by this already she's already been exposed to your convincing or you're trying to make her believe something and if that's what happened she doesn't need any more of that in fact any more of that will probably push her away And one of the biggest reasons I tell you not to pay attention to the other person is that if they care, if there's still love and connection in there for you, then they will likely keep tabs on your progress. And that sounds a little weird, but they will likely want to know how you are. If that's still there, if that love and connection is still there, and you're not reaching out to them and pushing your personal growth and healing onto them, saying, this is what I'm going through, can't you see this? If you're not doing any of that, they're going to be curious about you because they care. And if they're curious about you, they may look you up, they may find out how you're doing, they may not lock you out of their life completely. This isn't true in all cases, but if you're worried that if you don't say anything and you're worried that they'll never see your changes, well, I look at it this way. If they still care, if there's still love and connection in there for you, they'll probably want to stay in touch in some way, shape, or form. If not now, then later. But if there's not, then you trying to convince them will only drive them away further. So either way, not reaching out to them and continuously trying to show them that you're changing and healing and growing and all this other stuff is still a productive path to take and probably one of the very few ways that actually might reconcile a relationship. And don't take my word for that. This is something that is very unique to every situation. Doesn't mean that if you ignore someone all the time that you'll automatically reconcile. I'm just saying if you're worried that if you never reach out to them and you never say all the stuff that you're going through, that they will never have a connection with you again, well, if that connection's not there in the first place, then it wouldn't have happened anyway, if that makes sense. 
because all the convincing in the world is not going to make them love you again and reconnect with you again. In fact, it'll feel like a manipulation to them. And this is probably why this person who wrote isn't getting the connection that he wants. It probably feels like a manipulation to her. And he even said those words. It, she feels like I'm manipulating her, and I feel like she's manipulating me. And in this case, who knows what's true? I don't, I don't know what's true. And maybe she has issues that she's dealing with, and she needs to work on herself and focus on herself as well. People notice a difference in you when you're not focused on them. People notice that you seem to be adjusting well and feeling better in yourself. And because they see these changes in you, and hopefully they're genuine, you're not trying to convince them again, but if these changes are genuine in you and they notice it, people like being around people that feel good in themselves. It makes them feel good in themselves too because you're around someone who's you know got it together and working on themselves and you can tell there's improvement going on there. And when there's no sign of dysfunction, then they're not worried that they're going to get lost in that dysfunction again. And that dysfunction could be what you said in this letter, fear of abandonment. Um, I don't know if you said fear of rejection. There's these fears that you carry around that when you make decisions and live from this place of fear, it usually shows. It usually comes out in different ways because you're not making decisions from a place of empowerment. And I think that's important. It's a, there's a difference in making decisions from a place of fear and a place of empowerment. In your case, the next time you talk with her, you could say, you know what, I'm working on myself and I feel really good focused on myself right now. That could be what you say. I feel really good focused on myself right now. And you're either going to get a supportive answer like, wow, you know, that's really cool to hear. That's all I've wanted. I, I want you to feel good working on yourself. You know, that could boost your ego a little, a little bit, or it could also make you understand that, oh, it is important that I work on myself because she's supporting that. And if she sees more and more of that, then, you know, the chances of reconciliation are there. I'm not saying it could happen for sure, but there's a better chance because now she sees that you're focused on yourself. So let me make one more comment on your message here because I don't think you really asked any questions. You just kind of shared this. So I'm sharing my experience and my insights of what I went through because we had a very similar background, a very similar past. Uh, you said that you didn't have a very good father figure. So when you don't have a very good father figure, in my experience, in my history, and this is more personal than professional commentary that I'm going to say, uh, in my experience, not having a good fatherly or masculine role model has definitely made me uh, more afraid of confrontation. This isn't saying that uh, women can't confront. This isn't saying that if you're feminine, you don't have this in you. That's not what I'm saying at all. I just never had a strong role model of any sort that gave me the courage to confront and honor my boundaries and say no when I meant no. I never had that from anyone in my family, in my upbringing. So I had to develop that in myself much later on in life, unfortunately. But, you know, you learn when you learn. And that's what I learned. I learned to start honoring my boundaries and this is something I've talked about in many episodes. Definitely look for the episodes where I talk about boundaries over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com and start learning how to honor yourself there because boundaries come into play when you have all these other fears. And when you start honoring yourself and enforcing and honoring those boundaries inside of you, 
the fear slowly starts to dissipate. I'm not saying it disappears, but you know, the fears that you might have now, they start to dissipate as you honor yourself more and more. For example, the fear of confrontation. I had fear of confrontation for so long and I just didn't want to get hurt. I didn't want to get yelled at. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted uh, attention. I wanted friends. I wanted relationships. So I would always people please my way through those situations and through those relationships and never confront, never speak what was on my mind, never express my truth or rarely. And because of that, I kept getting burnt out. I kept losing my relationships and losing my jobs. And it got to the point where I couldn't keep anything. I was just always afraid to confront people. So one day I asked myself, what am I really afraid of? That's a good question. What are you really afraid of? If you're afraid to confront, what are you afraid of? You might say, oh, I'm afraid they'll yell at me. I'm afraid they won't like me. I'm afraid they'll hit me. Well, how about this? What if they do? (laughs) What if they don't like you? What if they yell at you? What if they hit you? I'm not saying that I want this to happen. I'm not saying that it will happen. I'm just asking, what if it happens? Then what? Because if you know the answer, or if you don't, it's important to get to this point where you know the answer. I decided in my life that if they chose to hit me, then so be it. That's it. I didn't say I was going to hit back. I didn't say uh, my life is ruined and I'm going to run away. I just said, well, if they choose to hit me, then they choose to hit me. I don't know what's going to happen after that, but I finally accepted that that could be a possibility. I'm not saying you put yourself in this situation. This is just something that I did. This is something I practiced. I also practiced, if they choose to not like me, so be it. So be it. They don't like me. What's going to happen? They're not going to like me. They're going to talk about me. They're not going to include me in their next group fun day. Okay, so be it. So I made that something that I accept in my life. What if they yell at me? Okay, they yell at me. So be it. What's going to happen? They're going to yell at me, and then what? What, are they really going to hit me? In some cases, that could be true, but let's just ask that question. Are they really going to hit me? Am I really afraid of that, or am I just afraid of them yelling? What if they fire me? How about that? Okay, what if they fire me? Uh, So be it. I make it sound easier, and I know there are situations where I can't get fired, I I need the money, or I, I can't lose this person's respect, or whatever. But what I started doing is choosing to accept the consequences of expressing myself and standing up for myself and honoring my boundaries. I chose that as a possible option because before I didn't make it an option. I said, no way. This is not going to be an option. I don't want to cause this stress in my life. I don't want to cause somebody to yell at me or hurt me or um, hate me. I don't want that to happen. But I just decided, well, what if it does happen, so be it. I didn't have an answer. I just said, I'll just accept it. I'll just accept that that's what happens. And then I'll deal with it. (laughs) That was sort of my follow-up. Then I'll deal with it. If you've been listening a while, you've already heard this. But I decided to start honoring myself in small but scary ways to find out if my belief was true. For example... 
um, one of the first things I started doing in uh, romantic relationships, and I hadn't done this until I met the person that would be my wife, she taught me that it was important to express yourself even at the risk of losing love, of losing even being liked, of losing the relationship. She taught me that by expressing herself and honoring herself with me because I had never been in a relationship where somebody said, hey, when you did that, that made me feel blank. That made me feel unloved. That made me feel disrespected. I'd never been with somebody like that. And she was the first one that did that with me. And when it happened, I was surprised. I was taken aback. And I realized, wow, um, I don't want to do that to her. I, I can't believe that she said that to me, that she came over and said, hey, when you did that, it made me feel like you didn't care. And when I heard that for the first time, I decided that this is, first of all, this is the person I need to be with. (laughs) She needs to teach me a few things, and she did. And second of all, she did what I considered a major risk to the relationship and to our love and to our connection. Not that I would just suddenly not like her and break up with her, but I'm looking at it from my point of view, where if I ever said that, I would be risking the relationship. And of course, my fear of abandonment, my fear of rejection would never allow me to say that. But she said that, and she did it in such a way where it didn't matter what my response was. What mattered was that she was able to get it out and express that truth inside of her, which showed me how to properly honor your boundaries. And when I learned that, that was so important. That was one of the most important lessons of my life because I started doing that as well. And I realized that if I'm going to have any relationship that is worth keeping and worth strengthening the bond, it has to be one where we're so honest and transparent with each other that it's actually a risk to the relationship if it's that bad. And it's it's hard to convey in words what that means, but that pretty much means if you have something to say, that you say it knowing they could hate you, they could break up with you, they could run away from you, they could never want to see you again. But you do it because you stand in integrity of who you are and you express yourself and tell your truth because you are a person of character. You are a person of that integrity and you're going to stand in that integrity and you're going to honor yourself because you should be with someone who allows you to honor yourself even at the risk of the relationship. I think that's the final thing I want to say to you is that sometimes we hold back so much Because we fear confrontation, we fear what the other person will say, we fear what the other person will think of us. And when we do that, what ends up happening is that we tell some sort of version of the truth or a complete lie, and then they have to interpret what we're saying and figure out where we are with it, and hopefully they'll interpret it right, but a lot of the times they don't. And then we're just playing head games back and forth, and it goes nowhere. And it's just a waste of time when you're doing this back and forth and it goes nowhere because you're deciding to not be honest. Even in marriages that have been around for years, there are people that don't feel attracted anymore or feel like there's no spice in their love life and they don't want to say it, so they never do. And what ends up happening is it comes out in other destructive ways. It gets swept under the rug and now it's never talked about. But if it was talked about, what would happen? 
Would there be a breakup? Or would there be a massive shift in the marriage and then suddenly things got better? These are the kind of risks I started taking after I met that woman who became my wife and we eventually divorced and that's not why we divorced, but that's what happened. I lived with her and I was with her for about eight years and we spent a lot of time together and I learned a lot from her and I ended up learning a lot myself after her as well and decided to take risks left and right. And if you've not heard me say this before, every time I took a risk in the direction of honoring my boundaries, it always turned out better than I expected. And what I believed would happen never did. If I believed they would hit me, they didn't. If I believed I would get fired, I didn't. And on and on. I had chose to take risks. I chose to say, so be it. If that's what happens, that's what happens. I'm going to stand in my own integrity. I'm going to tell them my truth and I'm going to express myself because this is important to me. And I truly believe people that love you and support you want you to express what's important to you. They want you to tell them what's hurting them or disrespecting them or devaluing them or belittling them. They want you to say these things because they care about you. People who care about you want you to honor yourself. And if you honor yourself with someone who doesn't care about you, Yeah, you're probably going to hear about it. You're probably going to feel those consequences, but you'll also reveal your relationship. You'll reveal the importance of your relationship or the unimportance to them of your relationship, which may be hurtful, but at least it's out and at least you know why it isn't working or why you've had so much trouble communicating because maybe they weren't all there for you anyway. Maybe they just didn't care enough or they were using you or they were selfish or whatever it is. But this is what happens when you start honoring yourself. You get to expose the type of relationships that you have. And when you honor yourself with people that love and support you, they're going to love and support you. That's how it goes. So I want to thank this person who wrote this. I hope you're doing a lot better now. I don't know when you wrote this. It was a while back. But thank you so much for sharing all this. And um, I hope what I've said has some meaning to you today. And thank you for tuning into the show. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. And when I come back, I'm going to read you some thank yous and goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsors, BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash brain. You get 10% off your first month of this fantastic therapeutic service. I also want to thank Curable. Go to curable.com forward slash brain, and you'll get the free app that helps you with chronic pain. And if you decide to upgrade, you'll get 50% off the upgrade price. Heck of a deal. Curable. C-U-R-A-B-L-E dot com forward slash brain. I also want to thank the patrons of the week. These are the financial backers of the show. I am so grateful for each and every person that donates or becomes a patron of the show. Deborah, Stephen, Clarissa, Michelle, Daisy, Julie, Brad, Leslie, Jessica, Jamie, and uh, Jesse. Jesse's a yearly contributor. Uh, thank you, Jesse, so much for another contribution this year. I appreciate you. And Holly, 
all of you. Very grateful for all of you. Like I said, these are the financial supporters of the show, and they pay for the backbone that keeps this show running. I appreciate all of you. Thank you again. And if you find value in this show like these people do, head over to moretob.com forward slash brain. That's like more the overwhelmed brain. moretob.com forward slash brain. And you can give monthly or yearly. And if you join the patron program, you'll get all the free episodes I have in there and the workbooks and the video archive. So I have a bunch of extras if you join the patron program over at moretob.com. Thank you, patrons. I appreciate all of you. And I also want to thank Art Girl SAH, who said, you have a great way of talking and giving examples. Thank you for your podcast. It helps. I learned something life-changing from almost every episode, and I've listened to about 15 so far. That was an iTunes review. Thank you so much for that amazing review. And I read all the reviews I can. I don't read them all on the show, but I get out there and read what people are saying about the show, just in case uh, somebody's saying I'm doing something wrong. (laughs) Happens every now and then. Uh, I try to ask them what I'm doing wrong, and I don't really hear back. But uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for those words. And you've only listened to 15 Wow, you have about 385 as of this episode. More to go, so you're going to be busy for a while. I hope each one of them, uh, well, maybe it shouldn't change your life every time. But if they do, I hope it's good changes for your life. Thank you again. And I mentioned uh, two things today, Love and Abuse and Healed Being. The Love and Abuse podcast is over at loveandabuse.com. That's where I talk about emotionally abusive relationships and control and manipulation and how we get into these difficult relationships or toxic relationships and maybe how we can either help to make them better or figure out what we need to do next. It's all about empowering you so you have more choices and more decisions so that you're not stuck in a relationship where you're miserable. And it doesn't have to be about romantic relationships. You can have a relationship with your family. You can have a relationship with uh, a friend, anyone in your life that might be doing hurtful behavior. It's helpful to know what they're doing and why they're doing it and what you can do to either counter it or talk to them about it and hopefully uh, stop the behavior altogether. Or if you don't stop the behavior, what next? I talk about all that over at loveandabuse.com. And over at healedbeing.com, that's where the emotionally abusive person, the person doing the hurtful behavior, if they really want to change, and I really mean that only if they really want to change, should they join that program. It's healedbeing.com, and it's for the emotionally abusive person that wants to transform their life. They want, they want to heal. They want to stop doing hurtful behavior. And that's where I help those in need of that as well. Healedbeing.com is that website. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. So we are at the final minute of the show, and I just want to let you know that I'm so glad that you stopped by. I don't really have any final words but to say it's been great connecting with you today. That's almost a rhyme. I think I just rhymed that whole thing. (laughs) That was off the cuff. That's the best I've ever done. So awesome that you arrived. So glad that you are here. And let me just remind you of something. Always keep an open mind. This is how you step into your power and create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.